you might not have your own premises, but if you've got a dependent agent who's acting for you in the jurisdiction, you could have an officer fixed place of business. You are listening to US Tax, a podcast for Australian accountants with US clients. Welcome to update US 19 of US tax about section 864 of the US Internal Revenue Code. This is Heide Robson. In the last update, we looked at section 882, which covers foreign corporations with the US trade or business. Today, let's look at section 864C, which defines effectively connected income. Brian Kelly of Wilkifar Gallagher in Los Angeles kindly agreed to walk you through 864 paragraph by paragraph. But before we start, let me just quickly give you a first walk through 864C, just so that you have heard it once before. I think it's much easier if it's already fresh in your mind. So section 864 is the definition section. And for us, it is 864C that is particularly relevant because it defines effectively connected income. Section 864C has eight paragraphs, eight But it is really only the first five that are relevant for us. And so let me walk you through those five paragraphs quickly so that you have heard it before. Number one basically just says that the following rules apply to non-resident aliens as well as foreign corporations. So it doesn't matter whether you're an individual or a company or a partnership or a trust. The same rules apply for ECI. And it also says that if you don't have a US trade or business, then you don't have ECI. Number two discusses to what extent FIDEP is treated as effectively connected income. So if you run a business and you also have interest, dividends, royalty income and so on, when do you treat it as FIDEP and when as ECI? And number three says something very important. It says that apart from paragraph two, so the whole question whether FIDEP income is treated as FIDEP or ECI, apart from that, number three says that all US sourced income is ECI. Here's the exact wording. All income gain or loss from sources within the United States, other than income or gain or loss to which paragraph 2 applies, and we just discussed paragraph 2, paragraph 2 is about the question of whether FIDEP income is FIDEP or ECI. So all income gain or loss from sources within the United States, other than income gain or loss to which paragraph 2 applies, shall be treated as effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business within the United States. So this is big. This is the limited force of attraction rule. And it suggests anything that is not FIDEP is ECI at first sight. This is what it sounds like when you read it for the first time. And then number four also says something very important. It says that foreign sourced income, and when I say foreign, I mean foreign in the eyes of the US. Number four says that no foreign sourced income is ECI unless there's an office or other fixed place of business in the US that earned this income. And then number five basically just discusses what this term office or other fixed place of business in the US, what that exactly means. What does this office or other fixed place of business in the US would look like? And what role do dependent agents versus independent agents play in this determination? So basically, what gives you an office or other fixed place of business? So number five is really just elaborating on the terms that number four uses. And that is basically it for us. Number six covers deferred payments, number seven real estate, and number eight covers the sale of partnership interests. So 
we basically just have to worry about paragraph 1 to 5 of section 864C. So with this, let's cut across to Brian Kelly of Wilkifar Gallagher in Los Angeles. Section 864, because the confusing bit is I think it has some deeming rules in there. So let me just very, I don't think I have 864 open, so I just very quickly go to 864. So 861, 862 and 863 are easy. They are the normal sourcing rules, but then 864 has all these definitions in it. The first definition is easy, you know, what means produced. But then when you come to C, it is definition of effectively connected income. And I think there you have quite a bit of shall be treated as effectively connected income, suggesting that it is not ECI, but that you treat it as if it was ECI. Yeah, C is very confusing because it refers to paragraph 2, 3, 4, 6, 7 and 8, which then refer to other paragraphs, so it's very confusing. Looking at it, I think paragraph 2 is about FEDAP, so it gives us some factors to determine when FEDAP is US sourced or foreign sourced, so that makes sense. And then it basically says in number 3, all income that is not FEDAP, that was covered in paragraph 2, all other income shall be treated as effectively connected. Some advisors have said that basically means everything is ECI unless it's FEDAP based on paragraph 3 of 864C. Let me give you a quick run through on the way I think about it. And then you'll very quickly find some language in there that seems not to jibe with the way I'm thinking about it because the language in, in 864 is confusing. But 864C1 is... As I'm looking at it, because I don't read 864C1 very much, it's just telling you that if you want to know what's ECI, you have to look at the rest of the subparagraphs in 864. 864C2 deals with U.S. source income and when U.S. source income, that is FEDAP, they, they refer to 871A1 and 871H and the analogous provisions of 881. So if you link through to those sections, that's what they're talking about is FEDAP income, basically. So C2 is telling me if I have U.S. source FEDAP income, when is that considered to be effectively connected with a U.S. trader business? And by the way, that presupposes that you have a U.S. trader business that's very factual, governed in a sense by 864B, but 864B doesn't tell you very much about when activities rise to the level of, of a U.S. trader business. But let's assume you have a U.S. trader business. Can I just ask you something about this? Because there has been the comment that said it's treated as ECI, even though you don't have a U.S. trader business. Can you basically have assumed ECI or deemed ECI without having a trade or business? The only instances I know of that are, one, if you sold real estate, yes, uh, because there's a special statute. And the other one, I believe there are certain situations where you can elect to have income treated as effectively connected. You see that sometimes with rental income. And the yes. reason for that is because rental income has expenses attached to it. It's not like receiving a, a dividend. And if you're subject to 30% tax on the gross- You make no money. Yeah, you can, you can imagine what the rate on the net is. So there is an election that people sometimes do use there. And that's the other instance that I could think of off the top of my head. To complete a thought, C2 is telling me when US source FEDAP is effectively connected. And it, it tells me that I have to apply these- facts and circumstances rules, which they refer to as the asset use test and, and the material factor test. And 
there's some voluminous regs that walk through how you apply these tests in different circumstances, but they are really facts and circumstances tests. So you're looking at, depending upon the type of assets that you have, the assets, integral parts of producing the income or the activities and material factor, the activities that produce the income. So 864C2 is basically working out when FDEP is ECI and there's an asset use test and there's a material factor test. So that's fine, but that doesn't really cover our inventory profits. So then we have to go further. Right. So C3 is what people sometimes refer to as the force of attraction rule, which is to say, if you have a U.S. trader business, even if the income can't be attributed to U.S. trader business under the sorts of principles espoused in C2, C3 will just treat it as effectively connected income. And you can see that the title of C3 is other income from sources within the United States. So if you had U.S. source income um, that is not covered by two, which could be, as we've discussed, income from the sale of inventory property that is treated as partly U.S. source and partly non-U.S. source. That would be an example of that. And there are some examples, to the best of my recollection, in the regulations that lay out fact patterns where you have a company that may have two lines of business, one of which is clearly a U.S. trader business. They've got activities going on in, in the U.S., and then they have a separate line of business that's really operated outside the U.S., but might, for instance, be selling inventory into the U.S., and some of that is U.S. sourced. And in those instances, they indicate that the U.S. source portion of that would be treated as ECI as a result of this separate U.S. trader or business. And that's the force of attraction principle. It's, hey, I have a trader business. We're just going to pull U.S. source income into that net. C3 indicates only applies to income that's not already covered by paragraph two. Okay, so three basically covers non-FDEP that is U.S. sourced. And that gets pulled in by the force of attraction rule if you have a USTB. But if you don't have a USTB, then this force of attraction rule doesn't apply. Right. Yeah. Nothing Nothing to pull it into. Okay. Perfect. So then looking at number four. Yeah. So then number four basically says nothing else is ECI unless it's covered by subparagraph B or C. And paragraph B is about an office or fixed place of business. And C, I think, is some obscure thing that we can drop. So if we ignore C, then basically number four just says in A, nothing is ECI. It says nothing is ECI if it's from sources without the U.S., so foreign uh, source. Yes, unless you have a fixed place of business in the U.S. Right, and it's attributable to that fixed place of business. And this is another one of those areas where there's 15 or 20 pages of regulations that lay out when foreign source income may be considered to be attributable to an office or fixed place of business and what an office or fixed place of business actually is. And I think the, the shorthand on that is that the office or fixed place of business concept is similar to the permanent establishment concept in a treaty. Although I wouldn't say it's identical, it's similar. Okay, so 864C3 is about US sourced income. 
And if you have a USTB, then all US sourced income gets pulled into this USTB as ECI based on the force of attraction rule. But if it's foreign sourced, then no foreign sourced income gets pulled into the USTB as ECI unless you have a fixed place of business. Right. I would say two things about that. One, from what you just said, probably the best way to think of it is that US source income is governed by C2 and C3. And so if it's income that's governed by C2, VDAP income, as, as we discussed, then it's not considered effectively connected unless it is effectively connected under one of those factual tests that's laid out in C2. If it's not FIDAP income, but it's U.S. source, then it can be pulled in under that force of attraction rule that we discussed. And if it's non-U.S. source, then you look at C4. Mm -hmm. And then it only gets pulled in if you have a place of business in the U.S. Right. An and and US. by the way, one of the ways in which that concept is similar to a treaty permanent establishment concept is that you can have an office or fixed place of business as the result of the activities of a dependent agent in the U.S. To what extent does a permanent establishment equal a U.S. trade or business equal a fixed place of business as defined in Section 864 C4? <laughs> That's a hard question to answer. You know, I, I don't think that I've seen frequently a U.S. trade or business where there isn't either an actual fixed place of business or an agent carrying on business in the US. That's just my lack of imagination. I'm sure there's a fact pattern out there around the corner where you would see that. But usually I would expect that if there's enough activity to constitute a US trader business or everybody believes would constitute a US trader business, there's probably enough presence so that there is what you would consider to be a fixed Coming place of business or a PE. Yeah. And as I say, perhaps not always. I'm sure if, if I look hard enough, I could find a fact pattern where you have one without the other, but I don't see that every day. And, you know, in terms of the other part of your question, which was what's the difference between a PE and an office or other fixed place of business? They're very similar. I think if I wanted to really answer that question, I'd kind of have to go treaty by treaty and say, well, what, in this treaty, what's included in, you know, what constitutes a permanent establishment versus in, in another treaty versus in our domestic law concepts, but they're pretty similar. Hmm. Okay. So basically a fixed place of business will most likely trigger a U.S. trade or business and hence most likely trigger a PE, but not every PE and not every U.S. trade or business is a fixed place of business because you can also trigger a U.S. trade or business or a PE through a dependent agent. So you might not have a fixed place of business, but you still have a U.S. trade or business and you still have a PE because you have a dependent agent, correct? Right. You might not have your own premises, but if you've, if you've got a dependent agent who's acting for you in the jurisdiction, you could have an officer fixed place of business. Yes. Good. Okay. So we covered 864. That was actually very helpful, those comments about force of attraction. And in a previous interview, Gary Carter said, income can be effectively connected to a U.S. trade or business, even if you don't have a U.S. trade or business. And I know I asked you this before. If you have sale of real estate, 
or if you choose for something to be a U.S. trade or business, to basically just be deemed a U.S. trade or business, then you could have ECI without actually physically having a U.S. trade or business. Is that what this comment is most likely about, if you make some guess about what somebody else meant? If I were to guess, I would say I suspect that might be what he was thinking of. And the two examples that I could think of offhand were the sale of real estate and the election to treat rentals as effectively connected income. I'm not aware off the top of my head of elections to treat other types of income that way. The rule that I'm thinking of deals specifically with rental income. Okay, good. So only rental income and the sale of real estate, as far as you our way of it, would give you ECI without actually having a U.S. trader business? Yeah, off the top of my head. There might be others that I'm not thinking of. Those are just the two off the top of my head. I, yes. I have something in the back of my mind about special rules for notional principal contracts, but I can't think of it in enough detail to even make it, make it worth trying to explain it, to roll through. Yeah. It's around the nuances of ECI and, and FDAP for foreign companies that have activities directed towards the U.S. I have seen people making decisions about how to scale up and gradually increase their investment here. So certainly in those beginning stages, you don't want to pay to have a substantial presence here when you don't know if your product is going to take off here at the beginning, as you say, you're selling to people here through an Amazon distribution center and seeing how it goes. And I do think that some larger companies work with third-party logistics providers in the same way where they may not have dependent agents in the U.S. I think sooner or later, if the U.S. becomes a significant market, then you find a need to have a presence. You know, you find a need to have a sales and marketing team on the ground here. And, and once you do that, you're not that far off from having a distributor here because it's not that much more functionality. And, and if people are doing well in a market, then it, it's sort of easy to justify that. And there are non-tax reasons why you might want a subsidiary. So that happens pretty quickly in a lot of cases. And then you have all this structure. It happens pretty fast. Welcome back. So this was the second last attempt to understand why U.S. sourced non-ECI, non-FIDAP income is not taxable in the U.S. when Section 882 and 864 seem to say otherwise. Let's have one last go at this question with Alex Awari in the next episode. And Alex makes some very helpful comments that hopefully cover it once and for all. At least I still had some very significant penny droppings in the next update. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next update.